Hey, Tom, do you think if I have a uh, an episode where I have some foul language, I should let listeners know? Um, yeah, I do. I don't think people pay much attention to the the E on certain episodes. You're not talking about a past episode, are you? No, no. I'm talking about one that's coming up um, that has some colorful language as well as some graphic content. Do you think there should yeah. be a, a a warning on that? I think you think that, and I agree. Um, and I think you breaking in and just mentioning that, you know, your your guests are your guests, and not all of them have the same standards of language that you do, uh, and that they simply, you know, if that's going to be a problem, then, you know, skip to... Over the, maybe this this is this week. This show is just not for them. All right. So, Tom and everyone else, this is your warning. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> and that moment, for some reason, my brain just went to this place of there's a larger picture to this. You're going to get through this. It's okay. This isn't going to kill you. I, and this is just a part of life and let's surrender to it. And I felt this peace come over me and I decided on my trip back to Chicago for my dad's funeral, I was going to look for the beauty in things. And I, the first thing I found before I even left was I was packing and I realized, oh, I have a broken foot. I only have to pack one shoe. ADHD Rewired episode number 57. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me thank our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Audible. For a free audiobook download, go to ericktivers.com slash audible for a link for that free download and for some hand-picked recommendations. Go to ericktivers.com slash audible for your free audiobook download. Zoom video conferencing is so easy to use that with all the extra time I saved not having to configure complicated settings, I recorded this promotion. Support ADHD Rewired and check out Zoom video conferencing. Go to erictivers.com slash Zoom. Again, that's erictivers.com slash Zoom. Get a Zoom room. This is the final week you can register for this summer's ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. Schedule your screening call now. You can call me at 224-993-9450 or go to coachingrewired.com. That's coachingrewired.com. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I am here with my guest, Paul Gill Martin. Paul Gill Martin is the host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour. If you, which is an awesome podcast. Also, you might know him from TNT's Dinner in a Movie, which was broadcast on TNT from 1995 until 2011. And um, in 
1999, he realized, as was on his website, he's not just an asshole. He had clinical depression. A few years later after that, he realized he was a little less of an asshole, but still had a little bit of that. And he realized he also had alcoholism and has been sober since 2003. And he started the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast. It was in 2000. That was was as far as my preparation went. So you have to. (laughs) 2011. 2011. It has over 200 and some episodes. I I believe I've listened to all of them. Um, And I love how your intro still kind of says about an hour or so about all the battles in your head. And most of them are about two hours. We long ago ditched an hour or so. It's now just a place for all the honesty in your head, all the battles in your head, you know. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play a quick uh, clip of the intro of your podcast just to give people an idea about what the podcast is all about. Okay. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high. By 4 p.m.? You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So... <laughs> so that is when I first felt love, like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. And I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with Cassie Snyder, who I corresponded with through... All right, so... Um, I don't know if you were able to hear that part, Paul. I was not. Okay. I was not. You were just probably imagining it in your head, maybe. Just wondering <laughs> what we're going to get on with it. So what you just heard was a montage of uh, past interviews that Paul has done on his show. And um, what I really think of your show as is a, a great force in kind of normalizing and destigmatizing mental illness. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate that. So, and I just think you're, you're doing really important things, uh, for, for, uh, the community. So thank you for doing everything you're doing. Oh, right back at you. You know, I always say to the, you know, the, the social workers and the therapists out there, I'm just the cheerleaders. You guys are the football team. Well, you know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, as, as much as I like to, to kind of comfort myself and, and stats and research based methods, um, what I think we really connect with as individuals, no matter what our training is, is in stories. I couldn't agree more. I and, mean, it's why movies are popular. We just, it's, it's, there's just something, it's why I'm a documentary uh, freak. I just can't get enough of a good story. I think we, it's, it's relatable. You know, we can, in a very cognitive way, um, wrap our heads around statistics and all, all these kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, what's the relatable story? Cause we need to hear that me too. And we want to be entertained too on a certain level. I think I, I first really discovered the power of stories when I first started getting sober and going to support group meetings. Um, I realized that my favorite part of them was when somebody would tell a story about 
what their life used to be like and how it changed and what their life is like now. And it was the information that I needed to help me live my life, but it was given in such a way that didn't feel like um, work. Mm. And so I thought in creating the podcast, if I could do that with stories of the battles we have in our heads with mental illness and, you know, just negative thinking. I thought if, if I can just get some good storytellers on that, on the show and to just have a, an honest conversation, I think that, I think that could be a, um, a really accessible way for people to start what are normally really difficult discussions to have. And, and often discussions that aren't even happening. Yeah. Because of the, you know, the, the notion that, you know, we're the only ones going through this. Yeah. And so much, there's so much stigma. Mm. I forget that sometimes living in Los Angeles and being in the creative arts, um, where it's almost a badge of honor if you're a little, you know, quote unquote crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're somebody that has a nine to five job in a corporate office in Omaha, that might not be that um, cool to be bipolar or an alcoholic mm-hmm. or, you know, we just don't talk about that. We just, we, we look good. We, you know, put on that game face and, uh, we don't, we don't talk about the problems and why, you know, why daddy's uh, drinking or angry after work. And, um, it's, we just are quiet about it. And secrecy is the, is the, um, just grows that sense of shame, that stigma. Um, you know, I heard, uh, this was a year or two ago. Is that a, is that a conference for ADHD? And, uh, one of the keynote presentations was about stigma. And this research actually showed that when you are, are discussing, um, mental illness, that actually initially stigma will go up before it goes down. And I thought that was a really interesting, um, finding. It is interesting. I wonder why. Well, I, I think part of it is because it's, it's almost the shock of, cause we're not used to hearing this. And so it's, it's uncomfortable to hear it. But, you know, as, as you were saying, one of the reasons you like go into the support groups, it's, you know, it's, it's shocking when you're in your own head. But when, when you start to hear other people talk about mm-hmm. it, it's, it kind of normalizes it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you've been doing this podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour for when did you start it? Uh, March of 2011. So four years. And you've got a couple listeners from what I understand. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a hugely successful podcast, which is, you know, it, I just think it's, 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 it's gratifying in a lot of ways that this podcast that's about mental illness of people having conversations about very difficult things does so well. Um, I think it's so well received and I just, I love the kind of the free flow of your, your, the format. Um, what gave you the idea to, to start a podcast? I went off my meds and got suicidal and didn't realize it was the depression coming back. And I thought, if I've been fooled by this and I've been in therapy and seeing a psychiatrist and been on meds and been in support groups and I know what the darkness looks like and I've been fooled by it again, mm-hmm. imagine what somebody who doesn't even believe in mental illness is up against. And I thought I got to get the, I got to get the word out there. And I think I have an idea for the format that will work because I felt like there was a void that needed to be filled. I felt like, um, emotional issues were being talked about in one of two ways. They were either being talked about in a preachy textbooky kind of condescending for lack of a better word, Dr. Phil way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or in a Sedona, embrace Mother Earth, you know, hold the crystal and release your buttocks, you know. <laughs> and neither of those worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, we need to talk about the way my friends and I talk about stuff in support groups, mm-hmm. and which is dark, inappropriate jokes, you know, uh, sometimes going from laughter to tears in the span of, of three minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, and it, the, the podcast medium, I think, is perfect for it because there's no time limit. There's no censorship. You can really go with your instinct. And I can't imagine how much of my podcast would be edited if it were on um, broadcast radio. It would. Uh, it would. You couldn't. I mean, it would. Just, yeah. It, so it, much. it needs all of that, the dark spaces and the that kind of those moments where you sort of feel uncomfortable. But that's, you know. And I think, you know, listening to some of the, I mean, some of the, the stories, there was one in particular about, um, a, was a listener who was, who experienced trauma, who was like attacked in her car, um, and just re her discussing like, and how she was able to kind of just come back from that. I mean, it was. Oh yeah. Brenda Fury, who was stabbed oh. like 20 times. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. She was a very resilient person. And you know what I found interesting about her story too is i and this is just my hunch but i really think um there was a relationship between her success in sports and her ability to um weather the the trauma that that she went through um uh i've i think anything that builds your esteem and that tests your mettle and where you learn um the ups and downs uh, and competing. And, uh, I've just, I, I was struck, I was struck by that in her story. And it wasn't something, uh, I think that she ever consciously said, oh yeah, you know, being, a uh, you know, playing softball at a super high competitive level helped me get through it. But when I brought it up, she was like, you know, I, I, I think I remember her saying that that made sense to her. And that's one of the things I love about doing the podcast is I get to, I get to be an armchair shrink with none of the responsibility. <laughs> It's gotta be. It's gotta be nice sometimes, you know. And, and Dude, it, it's the greatest. <laughs> it's the greatest. It's, uh, yeah. It's people say, oh, you know, have you ever thought of going to school to become a therapist? I was like, why? I get the best part of the therapy. I get the conversations without any other responsibility. No one's gonna sue you if you give them bad advice or. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and that's why I say in the intro, uh, it's it's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. Uh, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. I'm a I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes, <laughs> but I think that's also what what helps make it it, it accessible to people mm-hmm. is that we don't have all the answers. And, um, that, that's why the, you know, the self-help stuff of, we have all the answers and, you know, tomorrow you're going to be the better you. And that, that stuff just never worked for me. It just, it never moved me. And I think to heal, you first have to be moved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why the podcast moves people is because there isn't any authority there isn't any, we've got it all figured out Mm -hmm. because that stuff always a makes me suspicious at the start. And 
B, if I don't get that result immediately, I think, well, here's just another instance where I'm different from the rest of the population mm-hmm. and nothing's ever going to work out for me. Mm. I know one of the things that you do on your podcast, which I love, is uh, uh, I mean, you have, a, you have a pretty big online community and they fill out surveys. And I just think that's it's so neat just listening to, to all those. And I just can't even imagine how cool it is for you to be able to read all these people sharing truly their deepest targets inner thoughts and it's it's such a privilege um it it's been like going to graduate school for being human uh the things that people share it's been so comforting to me it's also been um really saddening you know imagine some of it has to be hard yeah i can't read too many you know i can't sit down and read more than about um a half hour or an hour of uh, surveys, especially the shame and secrets survey. Now uh, that tends to be the heaviest one. Well, will you and- talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, in, with, in the world of ADHD, in the ADHD community, there's so much shame because, you know, as I mean, we can say this with, with most mental illnesses, it's that we look normal on the outside, you know, and, so we have so much shame around, you know, the, the things we didn't get done, the people we let down, the the promises that we we meant to keep but forgot. Um, and there's just so, so much shame a- around that. Um, and so I just I love that um, that that survey that you have of uh, shame and, and secrets. So we just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, it asks questions like. Um, what, what kind of environment were you raised in? What are your darkest thoughts? Uh, what are the darkest things that you've ever done or been done to you? Um, have you ever shared it with anybody? How do you feel, uh, writing this down? What do you wish for? Um, what have you not said to anyone that you would like to say? Um, and, uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? And there's three things people can check, um, uh, yes, no, or some stuff happened, but I'm not sure if it counts. And the some stuff happened, but I'm not sure if it counts, um, has been the one of the most mm. eye-opening things um, that I've experienced doing the podcast because it will make your jaw drop what people aren't sure was yeah. sexual abuse. Yeah. The, the, the most stuff that is so clearly sexual abuse. And it's one of the things I learned is that our brain – has a way of minimizing trauma um, so that the world doesn't seem as scary to us. At least that's my opinion. Well, on, it's, it's, on a prote- it's a protective measure in a, in a sense. Our, yeah. our, our memory our, for pain, it's, it's kind of pushes it to the side. I think that's why there's a lot of, uh, you know, families with siblings and mm-hmm. not just the only children in the world, you know, cause it's, I mean, childbirth as far as, I mean, Fortunately, I was only a witness of it. Um, cause if, cause if it had to be me going through that only child guarantee. <laughs> um, no, the other, the, the other thing I just wanted to mention that, that I've really been, um, the light's been going off in my head lately is one of the worst injuries or repercussions of trauma is the obsession to play Monday morning quarterback shoulda coulda woulda Mm. it seems to really haunt people whether the trauma was um physical violence sexual abuse um witnessing or you know somebody taking their life or just having somebody in your life take their life when you're not even there any kind of trauma it um 
it plagues people. It it's there is this battle in your head to not let it go, to to want to somehow go back and fix it. Yeah. Now are you- Which obviously we can't. Um, am I remembering this right that you said on a recent podcast you, you started doing EMDR? I did. I discontinued with that therapist, uh, the first therapist, because uh, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, and then Can, uh, would you mind telling uh, my listeners just a little bit about EMDR in case they don't know? Yes, it's called eye movement desens- uh, desensitization reprocessing. And uh, the way it was discovered, from what I understand, was a, uh, a therapist was walking through the woods one day and you know when you're walking through the woods your eyes got to kind of go back and forth to you know make sure that you're not walking into a big hole or something and she noticed it it, that the thing that had been bothering her at the beginning of her walk had lessened and she thought oh there might be something here with eye movement and and reprocessing trauma and so um so began this this treatment that uh apparently works very well with um reprocessing trauma and it's believed that it rewires how trauma resides in your brain and um i did i did feel some uh lightness and some of the stuff that that we worked through you know one of the things i don't know if i would call it trauma but something that just always grossed me out about my mom uh is the way that she would drink me in with her eyes and the way she would kind of come up to me and and uh, often touch me inappropriately you, you use the term like, emotional incest in the past yes yes um and we did some emdr around that and um and i felt i was very in touch with my rage at feeling like her object at the at the beginning of the of the session my my mom's object and by the end of the session, um, I could feel that some of the anger dissipated. Um, and then a second therapist that I had did a different type of EMDR where you weren't actually moving your eyes. It was uh, you had a paddle in each hand that gave electrical pulses or, you know, they would vibrate alternately. Okay. And um, and apparently that accomplishes the same thing as moving your eyes does and falls under the category of EMDR. And I had a really profound session with her where um, she just talked me into relaxing and my back had been killing me. And I kid you not, I went home from that session and over the next four days, I slept more than I've ever slept in my entire life. I was Hmm. just absolutely exhausted and it's like 50 pounds dropped from my from my body it was it was profound um we did some more sessions after that and i never felt much after that initial one do you think that there was like the expectancy of i want it to be that great again and probably um i don't i'm i'm not sure why i didn't get more stuff than that but maybe that's the big thing that that needed to happen with that so i'm a believer um from what I understand, there's there's a lot of it has to do with who the therapist is, the way in which it's done. Apparently, you don't want to jump right into super heavy trauma right away. Mm-hmm. Some people have had bad experiences where they become re-traumatized by mm-hmm. it if, if they're not led through it in the right way. So, um, you know, the jury's still out as to 
um, how, how it works for everybody. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've had, I've had some good results from it. And, uh, I had one guest in particular, Lauren Ashley Bishop, whose life was profoundly changed for the better by EMDR. Mm. Yeah. It really interests me. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if, um, I mean, so for me, I, I see I have an allergy to paperwork. I, I break out in, in piles of procrastination. Um, uh, but I, I have real anxiety over things that, are like I I know there's it's not a threatening thing it's the 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 response that I'm having in my body would, would be a similar response as if I were potentially under attack and so I'm looking at this you know boring mundane paperwork and I'm having this like real physical manifestation of anxiety and it's you know and I I don't practice mindfulness so I don't read too much into the thought and I kind of just chalk it up to kind of cognitive processes that my my brain's not really strong in but I've been recently thinking is the, and we were talking about shame before, is the experiences of shame when it comes to administrative tasks where I've screwed things up. You know, is there a sense of trauma there that every time I'm doing something in that realm, like, is there an actual sense of trauma regarding paperwork? And it sounds absurd in one degree, but in, in actuality, I sometimes wonder, huh, is, is that, could that be more of what's going on versus this other explanation I've given to myself? You know, one of the things that I've allowed myself to do is, is to not um, force a label on something because I found that so much of the stuff that happened to me doesn't necessarily fit the hallmark description of mm-hmm. many things. Yeah. And that was a hurdle that I could never overcome mm. uh, until I said to myself, let's just for fuck's sake, say that what happened to me was under this banner of Mm -hmm. something and let me start processing. And until I did that, I could never really get anywhere. And as I look back on what happened to me now with the stuff that, that happened with, with my mom, um, it's the feelings that were left in me that matter. And until I gave weight to them, I, I, could never make any headway in having empathy for myself and drawing boundaries with her because it didn't feel to me like it was justified in saying it was incest. Um, And with what you were sharing, I don't think it's as important to say whether or not it's trauma as much as it is to say really intense feelings. And, and for me, that's, that's where I would go. And processing something like that is saying, why do I have really intense feelings around this? Because then you can move forward Mm -hmm. without getting stuck in that bog of, no, it's not trauma. This is just me being a baby. You know, so much progress is lost by having that battle in your head about, am I a baby? Am I Mm -hmm. an exaggerator? I know I, I wasted probably 20 years by minimizing what had happened to me. And when I came you know, uh, clean with my wife and finally said, you know, I, you know, I, here's what I think happened. Uh, what my mom did to me, she said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. I mean, she could, wow. she could see it in the way my mom interacted with me, but I couldn't because I was waiting for it to fit into a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, it's, it's interesting too, the idea of, of labels, you know, is, is, uh, obviously my, my podcast is focused on ADHD. My practice is focused on, on ADHD. Um, and because I have ADHD and I was actually, I was talking to someone, um, earlier today and we were having a very almost similar conversation about this idea that, 
you know, every once in a while, the thought crosses my mind of, what if I don't have ADHD and I realize it's something else? And it's like, how much does it really matter? You know, so I think there's to a degree, it's important to have that label because it makes you feel like you're not crazy. There's a reason why you're having these challenges. But, you know, from a, from actually the the utility of that diagnosis, well, what are you going to do about it? So Mm. if if someone asks, like, what do you, you know, you have ADHD, what do you do about that? It's like, well, it depends what your challenges are. You know, think of it it as a marriage you don't really give a shit about (laughs) the the label. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with it for now, but if we need to break up, (laughs) it's not going to kill me. How's that for a horrible analogy? I'll, I'll and, that's, th- and that's why I'm a podcast and not on broadcast uh, radio. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Um, I I think my listeners sometimes enjoy when I try to be funny and I fall flat on my face. <laughs> um, and I and I'll say things like I'm going to probably edit that, and I never edited it. You know, it's. <laughs> I've, I've come. You know, from the feedback I get from my listeners, they like. The stumbles and mm-hmm. the, the, Same, the other yeah. things. They, they like the humanness. They like to be reminded that. Uh, I'm so that, grateful for that because it makes it so much easier. Oh, I used to get into just such a spiral of perfectionism me that it, it would it would just freeze me. And um, when I started getting feedback from listeners that were like, I love when you bag on yourself and you talk about how you want to go back and, you know, edit that out and how it's killing you that you, you know, describe something horribly. It's, it's very freeing now to, to feel like. It normalizes negative thinking in a sense. Yeah, it really does. Um, the other epiphany I've had doing the podcast is, uh, realizing that, um, one of the most insidious things we can have in, being human is thinking that we have to be perfect to be loved because in reality people that are always trying to be perfect are like the least fun people to be around people that are fun are the people that laugh at their mistakes they make the best friends they make the most fun partners and for some reason we put that pressure on ourselves because we think perfectionism perfectionism is safety where, you know, where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I'd like to go there and burn it wherever it comes from. You know, because I, I work on that myself, the perfectionism. And, uh, you know, when I you know, it, it just occurred to me where I think it comes from. I think it it oftentimes comes from a critical parent who, in their mind, thinks that they're protecting us for our future by having us get everything right. But in reality, it winds up eroding our self-esteem, filling us us with doubt and anxiety and um, making us view the world as we view our parent, which is waiting to criticize us. Mm. I think Go ahead. Probably, I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity to that. Um, you know, when I started my podcast, I was doing all the, the production and editing of it. And I got to this point where I was spending 10 hours editing a 45 minute podcast oh my god and i was like and i kept telling myself all right eric stop 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 and i but i kept going like i was even saying out loud okay this is fine just keep and i kept working on it i finally found someone to to do my my post-production for because i just I, I i i can't i mean it's i would get i mean i'll be sitting there adjusting the frequencies of of my voice at certain it was absurd wow. it wow, was that's absurd. That's over the top. 
Thanks I'm going to say that's crazy. Thanks for making me feel really crappy about myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so I think I was talking to you about a little bit about um, uh, Brene Brown's work. Um, mm-hmm. And I was listening to one of her, um, it was the, the, um, the power of vulnerability. Um, yeah. It's a presentation she gave and I was going for a walk and I was listening to this part and I, it truly stopped in my tracks because she said, you know, one of the things she said was we as a culture tend to view our sense of productivity as self-worth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. Cause I mean, she, she hit the nail right on the head for me. And it, um, so it's, you know, I'm, I try really hard to be productive because, you know, in some ways I think of ADHD as this disorder of productivity. It's, it's, it's hard to get the shit done that you want to get done. Um, it's like you think about it and you think about it, you know, some, sometimes we call it the disorder of good intentions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, but when I realize, you know, it's, it, there's so much more to life and uh, who we are. Then, um, just how much we get done. Um, go ahead. Oh, well, that's one of the, the things that support groups help save my life for is it brought meaning and purpose. Um, because one of the things you do in support groups is, you know, once you start to get your legs underneath you, you turn around and you help somebody else who's, who's new to the support group. Mm-hmm. And I began to feel this, um, feeling, uh, of self worth that had always been completely tied up into my professional career, which never felt satisfying enough to me. Um, and it was, um, it was a revelation to me that I could feel like I was enough, um, by stuff that was completely outside my professional life. And that's the other thing I, I, um, get from doing the podcast is it brings such a feeling of meaning and purpose to, uh, to my life. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the transition for you after you uh, were, were done with uh, dinner and a movie. But mm-hmm. before we do that, I'd like to transition to a break real quick. Sure. So I'm going to take a quick moment to thank my sponsors and I'll be right back. Go to audibletrial.com slash ADHD rewired for your free audiobook download. Get a Zoom room. Go to erictivers.com slash Zoom. I use Zoom video conferencing for the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. Zoom makes video conferencing fun and easy. Share your screen, collaborate with a whiteboard, record the audio and video. It's ADHD friendly. Go free or go pro, but go to erictivers.com slash Zoom so they know that I sent you. That's erictivers.com slash Zoom. This episode was released Tuesday, June 9th, 2015, and time is running out. Registration for this summer's ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group is going to close this Friday at 5 p.m. Central Time. 10 weeks of group coaching with accountability to help you follow through, learn, grow, and connect. Improve your time management, planning skills, and overall productivity. Start the week with sharing your goals for the week. End the week reporting back on these goals. 
And if you are facing a specific challenge, you won't want to miss your chance to sit in the hot seat for our mastermind session. Imagine having 20 minutes where everyone in the group is completely focused on helping you work through one of your specific challenges. The best part is these sessions are all recorded so you can be fully present and not have to worry about taking notes. Alternating weeks, we will be each other's body doubles with our adult study hall session. I count on adult study hall sessions to go through my mail or empty my inbox. I do filing, faxing, and I even return calls and emails. During adult study hall, you will bring your important tasks. What are important tasks? These are the tasks that are, well, boring, but important. Say goodbye to procrastination and say hello to Adult Study Hall. The first few minutes, we will share with each other what we are going to work on, and then we'll mute our microphones with cameras on, and then we'll get to work. Each session is 45 minutes. We will have three sessions per week for 10 weeks. Everything is recorded, so if you ever miss a session, you can still catch up with what you missed. Convenient payment plans are available, but you have to act now. Screening calls are required to join this group, so please don't wait. Call me at 224-993-9450. That's 224-993-9450. Or complete the contact form or schedule your free 20-minute consultation with me at coachingrewired.com. That's one word, coachingrewired.com. Or you can open up your podcast player right now and tap the ADHD Rewired logo that is in your now playing window. And the URL and phone number should show up. But just in case, the phone number one more time is 224-993-9450 or go to coachingrewired.com. There is still space available, but I cannot guarantee this will be the case if you wait. Act now and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. All right, we are back. I'm here with my guest, Paul Gilmartin. The people usually refer to as Gil, like, do they ever say that? Uh, sometimes, you know, my um, my nickname with most uh, most of my friends is Gilly. Really? Um, oh, I didn't know yeah, that. A lot of people think Gil is my middle name. Oh, it's not. It's, it's, okay, wait. No, Gil Martin is one word. G- I, you feel, learn something I, I feel really foolish right now. Yeah. It's- <laughs> yeah. People always think that about me. People always think Gil is my middle name. Yeah. Huh. You just kind of blew my mind. You know, it's, yes. it's what, I think there was a Seinfeld episode about the, the idea of like a word that you've been misusing for like your entire life. And then someone finally corrects you about it in, yeah. in like yeah. your late thirties or something. And like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> my, I love that commercial. I can't remember what it's for, but one uh, somebody calls something French benefits. <laughs> and that was, and the other guy just chastises him for it. So um, when so you did since uh, in 1995, you started doing the TNT dinner in a movie. Um, yeah, TBS actually. TBS mm-hmm. three letters. Both start to the T. It was really close. Yeah, brother and sister network. So you weren't far off. Okay. Okay. Both started by Ted Turner. Now you're making me feel so small. If I'm <laughs> I should have let it. I should have let it. What else can I do wrong here? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take my failure bow. Yeah. 
So, so what, what about talk, talk to us about the transition? Cause I, um, cause you were still, you were doing the podcast during that transition. Like when you were, yeah, when you were still doing it. the last year of, um, the show. So for the last, um, nine months of the show, maybe, uh, six months of the show, uh, was when I first started doing the podcast and it wasn't a conscious transition. I didn't start the podcast to say, this is going to be my, uh, next career. I started it thinking this is something that just kind of there's a void and this needs to fill up. This would be a perfect thing to do. And I think it would be fun and interesting. Um, and then six months later, the show got canceled. And so it was, it was certainly nice to have it there because it gave me six months of doing the show without the feeling, uh, that, okay, you know, all the chips are on, are on this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the hardest part for you about the transition. Not getting a regular check. Um, that's probably the, the most difficult thing, you know, having a, um, and I still don't get a, you know, a regular check. I get donations. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like a minimum wage job. Uh, but the greatest minimum wage job you could, uh, you could have. Um, and I get some money from advertisers when they do advertise Mm -hmm. and that definitely helps. Um, and if it's a good year for advertising, it's, it's, you know, it's better than a minimum wage job. Um, but I, I don't, I don't do it for the, for the money. It's, um, I do it cause I, I enjoy it and, uh, it brings a lot of meaning to, to my life. So the transition really wasn't, it wasn't difficult in many ways. Um, it was enjoyable because mm. there was a lot of things to doing the TV show that I didn't like. I loved the people that I worked with and, um, I, I loved improvising, but there's also a lot of pressure to creating a show that's improvised. Uh, and it can't be easy. No, it's not. And if you're a perfectionist, you know, um, I I would have trouble sleeping the night before we would tape, uh, when we would be finished taping a lot of times I would just collapse into bed and sleep for 12 hours until we, you know, Mm. tape the next day. Um, and I always thought, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to make my, my living on camera. And by six months into doing the show, which ran for a long time, uh, there was a part of me that began to realize I don't really like being on camera. I love being creative, Mm. but I don't like the pressure of being in, um, a situation where there is that much up in the air where it's kind of being run by a corporation that is really only interested in making money. And Mm -hmm. that's what I love about doing my podcast is, um, I, I don't answer to anyone. It's also one of the things that can be difficult about it, but I love it. I don't, I don't miss anything except the people about doing my, and the paycheck that, that, that's it. I'm, I'm very creatively satisfied and I don't miss doing stand up. I really kind of retired from doing that about three years ago. And because everything that I want to say, I can say in the podcast medium mm. without the, without drunks, you know, poised to heckle. Uh, but is that, is that hard for, for you to go into that environment? It's not hard. You just get tired of it. It's annoying. Uh, yeah. It's just annoying. It's just like, um, I don't know. It just, I, it was an extremely beneficial way to make my living and a lot of fun for many years. But, at a certain point you grow. And I just kind of grew 
in a different direction where what I wanted, the way that I wanted to express myself, the comedy club was no longer a venue for that. I may start doing live performing at some point down the road, but it would be something different than what I would do. Do you think it would be more about like mental illness? Yeah. Yeah. And I've gone and I've spoken. I got invited uh, to to speak at uh, Johns Hopkins. I heard. Congratulations. That's huge. It was great. It was, it was um, so uh, fulfilling on so many levels. And uh, I had uh, a couple of women reach out to me, a couple of female students that hadn't really confronted what had happened to them. And um, they kind of, uh, you know, opened up to me about what had happened to them. And I shared stuff that had happened with me and, you know, we emailed back and forth and um, I think it meant a lot to, to both of us. And, and, and it brought that thing back up, which I keep going talking about all the time, which is meaning and purpose. It just made me feel like what I've been through as a kid was not a waste because it it's, that's what's great about support groups is it mm-hmm. turns this terrible thing into this currency that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. makes your life better. Yeah, I think I think a lot of therapists who have taken uh, have had situations in their life that have been very hard, and they learned how to, you know, how to make that into something positive. Um, I know for one of the things for me, you know, my, when I was 14, my dad had a brain injury and, uh, you know, and so looking at how just the brain works and what happens when it, you know, does crazy things like decides to bleed in parts of the brain that change everything, you know, wow. and, and just, um, seeing what that does. It, so that really, um, that really helped me understand the importance of, of both self-awareness and also acceptance, you know, cause I would see my dad after his, he was recovering from his, uh, the, the surgery, really trying to do all the things he used to be able to do, but he just, he didn't have the same abilities and it was, it was hard to watch. Um, and so I think that, that really, uh, that, that taught me a, a lot. And I think it really, uh, shaped a lot of who I am now. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And um, I always say that there is beauty in everything. You know, there was even beauty in moments in the Holocaust. If you read enough stories about it, you know, a, one starving person giving their last piece of bread to another starving person, mm-hmm. um, you know, a group of people um, in the, in their bunks singing a song. Um, you know, I had this moment when I've been sober about two years and I had broken my ankle. They had put some pins in it. It was killing me. The stomach flu hit me. I'm laying on the bathroom floor with 104 fever and the phone rings and my dad has died. And in that moment, I just, for some reason, my brain just went to this place of there's a larger picture to this and you are just, you're going to get through this. It's okay. This isn't going to kill you. I, and this is just a part of life and let's surrender to it. And I felt this joy and peace come over me. I don't know if joy might be too strong of a word, but I felt this peace come over me. Serenity? Yeah, serenity come over me. And and I decided on my trip back to Chicago for my dad's funeral, I was going to look for the beauty in things. Mm. And I, the first thing I found before I even left was I was packing and I realized, 
oh, I have a broken foot. I only have to pack one shoe. (laughs) (laughs) And it made me laugh. It made me laugh. And, you know, I got to get wheeled through the airport. Uh, I didn't have to sit in the line for security. You know, moments moments like that, um, Mm. that... You know, once you realize that there are beautiful moments, even in the worst of circumstances, um, it makes it less scary because then you can focus on what is beautiful instead of what is is ugly. And um, at least that's worked for me. So now would that be under what you uh, I think you have coined the term awfulsome? Yes. Yes. We, we talk. I, I love that. That that's the just, awful that's some moments. Yeah. <laughs> well, I began to realize as people were sharing uh, things on the podcast, is they would share things that were really horrible at the time. But as you look back on them, there was something sickly funny about it, and it was like it was awesome and it was awful at the same time. And so we dubbed the term awfulsome. And there's a survey that people fill out where they share awful some moments. And I'll give you one, for example, and I'm paraphrasing it, but this, this girl was in a psych ward and there was an old man in there who was super belligerent. And I can swear on this, right? On your podcast? There will, there will be a, um, yes. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and there was this old guy who was a real curmudgeon and the nurse comes up to him and she has this uh, thing of vanilla pudding. And she said, uh, Ezra, um, would you like some vanilla pudding? And he just curses her up and down. F you, you mother effort, shove that pudding up your blah, 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 blah. She walks away. She comes back five minutes later. Ezra, are, sure, are you sure I can't interest you in some vanilla pudding? I told you, you effing whore, shove that thing up you. If you show me that again, you know, I'm going to crack the bowl over your head. She walks away. She comes back 10 minutes later. She puts the bowl underneath his nose and he starts to scream at her and he stops and he goes, by George, is that butterscotch? (laughs) He takes the bowl of butterscotch pudding and he starts drinking it. (laughs) And an old lady sitting next to him says to him, Ezra, why do you make such a scene when they bring you pudding? He says, because if I don't, I don't get the butterscotch. (laughs) So here is this woman who is in this psych ward who got to experience this hilarious human scene, you know, and that to me is life. Life is just filled with moments that you cried at the time, but in hindsight, you laugh. (laughs) By George, is that butterscotch? That's great. Wow. Now, now my my only concern is now everyone's hearing all these things that they're going to all tune into your podcast now and they're going to abandon mine. Yes, it's all a part of my plan. Come, <laughs> come to the other side. <laughs> As I bump my microphone. All right, um, let's see. Now, let me ask you: Do you do you hear a lot about ADHD in, in kind of your circles? Because I know you go to different support groups, and because I was looking around on your website and I didn't see ADHD as one of the uh, kind of s- options to select when there is like different mental illnesses that you can select. What do you mean select? Like, I, one of the surveys there was like where there's you can choose like anxiety, depression. Oh, tr- I, I don't have ADHD on that. No. Really? It must be a, a attention to detail oversight. Oh, I got to go back in and add that one. I oh. can't believe I don't have that. 
That's crazy. For this whole time, I was thinking, man, what is it? What is it? not think ADHD is a real disorder? No. Jeez. No. <laughs> I, I gotta go. thank you for alerting me to that. I gotta go put that put that in there. And in the meantime, twenty different thoughts are gonna come to me, and then I'm gonna forget to do it. Wouldn't that be ironic? Uh, the the uh, episode with Andrew Donnelly is mm-hmm. a really good episode. Uh, he talks about uh, having ADHD and how difficult it made for him to um, be a present parent. And until he got diagnosed, he could never really understand why school was such a struggle and why he would get these panic attacks and Mm. stuff like that. And then once he was diagnosed, everything began to make sense and he got on some meds and uh, now he has some tools uh, to to begin to cope. But I will I will go put that. That's the uh, struggle in a sentence survey, which is another survey that I love. That's great. People try to describe in a sentence what their individual issue battles are like paul i I have to tell you that it's probably at least five times that i've attempted to go share my struggle in a sentence about adhd and then my brain just goes it's not good enough it goes blank and then i go into something else (laughs) i get it i get it (sighs) struggle in a sentence I've, i've tried this five times well, about your ADHD, you should write, uh, I've been here five times and I can't fill out this survey. There it is. <laughs> That's what I learned doing stand-up is go, whatever the situation gives you, use it. Yeah, yeah I'm actually, I'm working with someone right now who I'm, I'm teaching how to do a, a podcast who's trained at Second City and she's, uh, she's actually my mentor in Toastmasters. Um, and that's one of the things she talks about. Just kind of, you got to go with what happens. You can't have these plans ahead of time. You just you gotta- can't. And I learned that going through Second City's training program. You know, improv classes are a really great um, uh, tool to to kind of prep you for life. If you can let go of the idea that I need to get something out of this, you know, professionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can just go to it and say, I'm just going to, you know, let go of mm-hmm. judgment and say the first thing that comes out of my mouth. That's one of the things that Fred Willard says he does. And, and, you know, he's in all those Christopher Guest movies and he's always so funny. He says he just says the first thing that comes to his mind when they are improvising a scene. Sometimes I think that um, I become over inhibited because um, for there's been times where saying the very first thing that comes to my mind has gotten me in trouble. Um, So I I need to find the right avenue for that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I think I think it depends on what your intent is. You know what I mean? (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. We are at about uh, about 50 minutes in. So I want to start winding this thing down. But before we do, what we're going to do is. Um, I'm going to invite you to the random question round. This is the part of the show that has nothing to do with ADHD, which then paradoxically has everything to do with ADHD. (laughs) Are you ready? Yep. Okay. If you can uh, invent something or improve upon a current thing, what would it be? If I could invent or improve upon a certain thing, um... I would, I would say um, two things: uh, a way to convert salt water into fresh water, uh, and a way to make solar panels more powerful. Because I think the two things that are threatening our planet the most is uh, running out of water and uh, carbon emissions. And I would; those are two things that I would, I really wish um, would happen. 
So you've discovered how to do this and you've created a clean bottled water product. And now you have to name it. What's it called? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Said the first thing that came to my mind. (laughs) That was good. Uh, Um... You threw me for a loop. I didn't expect it to be that quick. That was good. Um, sugar cereals, marshmallows or no marshmallows? Oh, marshmallows. What are you, a fascist? <laughs> it's the best part. It's the best part. Well, why would you buy Count Chocula if you weren't going to eat the marshmallows? That's like saying, I want a banana split, but can you hold the ice cream? <laughs> That doesn't. <laughs> I was at I was at Panera a, a while back, and I was ordering a, a sandwich, and I asked them to hold the onions, and then I asked, and then I ordered a French onion soup. <laughs> Did you really? Fantastic. <laughs> and it, I was actually I was with my sister in law, and she goes, "What?" I was like, "Well, raw onions are totally different than." That's true. That's true. I do have a point. You know, I back you up on that. One. Thank you. Yes, I feel validated. <laughs> That's what it's all about. What is the best cookie of all time? The best cookie of all time? Mm -hmm. A a good oatmeal raisin. Or a chocolate chip cookie that's crunchy on the outside but chewy uh, on the rest of it and just just browned. You know, the edges are, are kind of browned. Yeah, mm. that's my those are those are my two favorite cookies. If you would start another podcast, what would it be called? Um, I don't know what the name of it would be, but it would be uh, something post-apocalyptic, and and it would be, um, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would take all of my anxiety about carbon emissions and water shortages, and and it would be about that. And I'm, I'm kind of still tossing the idea around, but the part of me that is afraid of pressure and responsibility is like, let's just play Scrabble. <laughs> you would hate to play Scrabble with me because I am, I, it takes so long and, and I love Scrabble, but I'm also mm-hmm. an awful speller, which is kind of funny that I like Scrabble. Other than that, you're great at I, it. I, no, I just like to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's 1985. You, how old are you in 1985? I'm 22. Okay. Did you play Nintendo in 1985? Um, Mario Brothers or The Legend of Zelda. Those those were my two. Yeah. Do you remember the, um, in Mario Brothers, do you mm-hmm. remember how to get to the last level? Like that, that, like the cheat? Yeah. And I forget what it was. I think you, you had to drop down into some type of a hole or something. I, I can't remember. Do you? I think it was in... I think one three takes you to four one and then seven one to eight one, I think. But you have to have firepower because you get those monkeys that are throwing those things at you. Mm-hmm. You get no chance. I I the way I finally cracked it was somebody with a VHS taped themselves 
playing the whole thing. And then I finally realized what it was to, and I was growing pot at the time. So just imagine, I, and I just started doing stand up professionally. So uh, I was getting high uh, almost every waking hour playing Nintendo and then uh, stumbling to the comedy club to do uh, a half hour material. That didn't last for too long before I had to, I had to get rid of the pot plants. I was like, this is, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, was this in Chicago or was this? Uh... Yeah, it was in Chicago. Yeah. You, you grew up in Chicago, right? I did, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think we're gonna, I'm going to end it on the pot plants. All right. <laughs> Always end with the weed. <laughs> you know, it might start off good, but, you know, after a while, it can't lead to anything good. Yeah. That's what the research says anyways. Sure. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, how can people find you, uh, your podcast, website, all that good stuff? The website is mentalpod.com, and uh, they can just um, – they can either Google Mental Illness Happy Hour – uh, you can download it or stream it from the website, or you can uh, access it through iTunes. Just do a search for mental illness um, on iTunes, and you'll see it come up. And make sure you click on the, when the uh, the logo comes up for the show, click on the logo, and that way you'll make sure you get all the most recent episodes. Because mm. otherwise, if you search it, all that comes up are the most popular ones. Mm. So the most recent ones may not come up. And, and don't forget to uh, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. That's and right. if you want to earn a gold star, you can leave Paul and me a review, two for one. Because I know, you know, you hear me ask all the time about leaving a review because it helps uh, you know, my, my podcast show up on iTunes. You don't have to put it off anymore. Now you can get right two really good podcasts all at the same time. And you'll feel right really on. good about yourself. You being of service. <laughs> Thanks, Meaning Paul. and purpose. Dude, that's <laughs> right. right. That's right. All right. Thanks, right. Eric. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD Rewired. And if you're new to the show, welcome to ADHD Rewired. We are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. You can see a full outline of this and all other episodes with all the links and other resources mentioned during this interview at ADHDrewired.com. Help support this podcast by checking out my sponsors. I use Zoom video conferencing nearly every day, and so can you. Go free or go pro. But please, go to erictibbers.com slash Zoom so they know that I sent you. And you can get a free audiobook from Audible at erictibbers.com slash Audible. And next time you shop Amazon, use the Amazon search portal at ADHDrewired.com. A small percentage of your purchase will go to support this show. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. You can also support this podcast by leaving an honest rating and review in iTunes or Stitcher. This really helps other people find this show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Don't just be a passive listener, be an active member of the ADHD Rewired community. We are on Facebook. You can like our page, but please submit your request to join our free and growing community. And don't forget to check your other inbox because I screen everybody before they come into our community. <laughs>